busted. And welcome back to yet another episode of Proper's of Parable. Ah, Nick, how you doing today? I'm so good, Michael. Dude, yes. I'm so good. Dude, yes. I'm so excited to be back recording again. Hey. It hasn't been like that long. Fourth week in a row? Fourth week in a row. Yeah, man. That's crazy. Consistency. Consistency. Dog. Yeah, dude, consistency is key for like all this stuff, you know what I'm saying? You know, like oh. I'm very excited to be back and recording some more James. Dude, guys, James is so good. But like, Nick, how was your day today? What'd you do? Did you go to the gym? Uh nope. Yikes. <laughs> Oof. Uh no, I had work this morning, seven AM to eleven. For those of you who don't know, I drive a golf cart on GCU's campus. You get paid to drive a golf cart? I get paid to drive a golf That's cart. That's kind of epic. Uh, no, it, yeah, it's awesome. This is my fourth year in a row driving the golf cart. Yeah. It's, it's a lot of fun. I uh, saw some homies, but got off at 11 and then went home and played some Madden. I pro- I think I said that on last episode, too. Yeah. I, I've been playing a lot of Madden. Franchise mode is nuts. It's so fun. Yeah, it's, it is football. Football. Yeah, it's football. <laughs> yes, yeah, the sport game, right? The you know, sport. You yeah, get, you the sport with the like home runs yeah, and stuff. You yeah, get right through the into the goals <laughs> area. Had lunch, had a one-on-one, picked up my brand new microphone hey, yo. that I'm currently recording on. How does it sound? I think it sounds good. It's nice. probably exactly the same because it's the same microphone I was using before, but a different one. Shout out to uh, Jacob for the rental. Hey, man, to be fair, I didn't go to the gym either today. I'm going to call myself out. What? Anyways, I was going to try to get up at like five and do like my Bible reading and go for a run at six. I woke yeah. up and it was just like, mm, you know, I could stay awake right now, but like I'm going to sleep. Yep. Yeah. So I went to bed. I went back to sleep and then my six alarm, 6 a.m. alarm went off and turned that one off too. And went back to sleep and woke up at 7.30. It was pretty good, you know? Still had a good Bible time. No run. But then I went to work. Then I had a class. Then I had a FaceTime call with my brother. And then one-on-one. And now we're here. Just chilling. You know oh, what I'm saying? I had a one-on-one as well. Wait, what? Yeah. Yeah, you said that. Already. Dude, we like had him like at the same time. That's crazy. Whoa. That's actually... Bossing. Bossing. That's super sick. But yeah. Welcome yeah. back. This is this should be episode three officially. Yeah, yeah. It's the fourth. We did episode. have a point five episode. It's actually the fifth episode because the one that got yeah, broken up in two parts is part one, one and part one, two of yeah. episode one. So it's the fifth recording, the third episode. Okay. Welcome back to EP three. Um, today Thanks. we're we're rolling through more James. We're gonna be going through James chapter one, verses twelve through fifteen. Uh, Michael, you want to read it for us? Yeah, but I want to ask one question first. Oh, snap. How's God been good to you this week? Oh, that's a good question. Yeah. With a great answer. Yes, son. Yes, son. Let's see. That's the podcast episode of every episode, you know? Oh, you know what I'm saying? Dude, you can't I forget know. about that episode, of that podcast question. It's a great question. I don't question. know what I'm saying at this point. <laughs> that's okay. How's God been good to you this week? Dude, we, Madison and I, got our officiant nailed down for the wedding. Nailed it. And that happened like... I think it was probably the day after we recorded our last episode, but so it's been in the last week. It's Madison's uncle, her uncle Ronnie. He is great. Man, I love that guy. And he's going to be officiating our wedding and he's doing our premarital counseling. And it's just such a blessing to have, you know, someone in the family, soon to be my family, but in her family, um, who's blessed in that way and and has the skill set and the equipping from the Lord to do weddings and, and bless us in that but we are so excited for that and so the the opportunity arose to ask him and we jumped on it and we're so glad that we did it sounds like he's excited too which is great that's so exciting ah i love when families do weddings and weddings do families he's gonna be like not just in our wedding pictures he's gonna be like next to us in the wedding picture yeah forever that's so cool that is so cool it's hype it's not just like oh that was our pastor when we were in college but no it's like oh that's our uncle you know what i'm saying super cool that's awesome what about you michael I know he's been good to you. I know he has. You know, God's always been good to me. Um, This past week, you know, it's not like last week, but this past week has been good. You know, I feel like I'm not being burnt out, and I don't feel like I'm going to be burnt out for a while. I don't know. I've just been trying to really learn how to put my weight on him and let him really carry me through the situations of life and just the trials and just everything that's going on right now. So it's been good, you know? Oh, also... So this is kind of this is kind of God being good, but like also kind of sad. My grandfather passed away like two days ago, so I do get to see all my family next weekend, which is actually going to be so much fun. Which also means we won't record next week, but you know we're kind of an episode ahead. Oh, shout out! I don't know why I said shout out, but anyways, so that is kind of how God's been good to me. It's just like that that unexpected family trip yeah. where we can all just come together, laugh together, comfort each other, 
hopefully not cry too much with each other. But, you know, it'll probably happen as we kind of remember our grandpa's life and just celebrate his life. And, yeah. yeah. So that's going to be really fun. I'm actually looking forward to it. So it'll be good. Yeah. But on to James, shall we? Well, other side note, so I don't do it at the end of the episode. Oh, yeah. Um, it, it has no comparison to last week's side note at the end of the episode. It, yo, if was, you haven't listened to fun. it, go listen to it. Some spice happened. At <laughs> I haven't even listened to it yet. Me either. <laughs> As if you haven't, I haven't. <laughs> um, but something else Michael and I did this week uh, since we last recorded was we started reading a book together. Oh, yes. Uh, it's a book called Wild at Heart by John Eldridge. Okay. And Talk you, about it. If you haven't read it or heard of it uh, and you are a man... Or you're a woman who loves a man, you should read it, because uh, John Eldridge is this just awesome communicator who talks about how to refine the masculine heart and restore the masculine soul mm. as God intended it to be at the beginning. So we're just out here, you know, like becoming men, you know, we're just, just like, like, doing like our best, God you know, intended us men, to be, men you know. of God or whatever. But yeah, yeah we started reading it together. Uh, he'd already read the first chapter, but he reread it. And I listened to it for the first time on Audible. And we did this little workbook that you can get to do with the book. It's fantastic. We talked for literally four hours. I don't know if yeah. you realized that, Michael, no. but it yeah. was four hours. It was four hours, definitely. Um, but yeah, that was awesome. So pick it up. It's not that expensive. Uh, mm-hmm. If you have an Audible credit, if you have an Audible account, pick it up. It's awesome. If you don't have an Audible account, but you have access to bookstores, you should buy it. Anyhow. Onto. Or if you just know someone who has a bunch of extra copies, shout out Parker. Shout out Parker. Uh, <laughs> you can get the true. copy for free. <laughs> true. Uh, All right. James. James, chapter, chapter one. one. All right. Um, I'm going to read this today. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God, for God cannot be tempted with evil, and he himself tempts no one. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desires. Then desire, when it is conceived, gives birth to sin. And sin, when it is fully grown, brings forth death. Dun, dun, dun. Rut row, Raggy. What does it mean, Michael? Uh, well, let's just focus on... So there's a lot in this section. Yeah. Let's focus on verse 12 for now. Because we're about to unpack this whole thing. But let's go verse by verse real quick. So let me just... uh. Read, read verse 12, just in case you missed it because you were distracted with someone else in your your life. But um, yeah, verse 12, blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. Boom. Let's stop right there. Blessed is the man who remains steadfast under trial. What does that sound like, Nick? That sounds like, that sounds like verse two, Michael. Wait, should we reread verse two real quick? Hey, yo, flip back. Count it all joys, my brothers, when you meet trials of various kind. Hey, yeah, wait, is James repeating himself, bro? Are you telling me he's referencing his own ideas, building upon them? What? Yo! In the first chapter? That's whack. That is whack. But what does he mean? What uh, does it mean to stay steadfast in trials, Michael? Well, I think to understand what it means to well stay steadfast, remain steadfast under trial, um, I think it would be a good idea to look at other people in the Bible who have also remained steadfast under trial. And then we can elaborate on that. So a biblical reference or a biblical example that we've got planned for tonight is none other than Joseph. Joseph. That man's busting, bro. Yo. So I, do you want to kind of talk about the story of Joseph? I can talk yeah. about it. Yeah, I mean. You go for it. Cliff notes, sure. Um, for those of you that don't know the story of Joseph, he's a super important character in the book of Genesis. Mm. Uh, he's born amidst eventually 11 other brothers, but he's born to Jacob. So Jacob has 12 sons that become the 12 tribes of Israel in right in the middle. Uh, there's a whole chunk at the back end of Genesis that is just all about Joseph. It, the whole, it's chapters and chapters and chapters about Joseph. Um, and right before the spot we're going to talk about, there's this like awkward interruption about his brother Judah. And if you don't know that story, uh, it brings a lot of context to what we're talking about, but we don't have time to go through that story or we would be here for a few hours. Long story short, Judah makes some really shady choices with his sexuality and makes uh, some mistakes that God uses to bless him anyhow. And that's fantastic. But you see Judah mess up and do it wrong. And the very next chapter, Genesis 39, you see Joseph do it right. And that's what we're going to be talking about. Yeah. Uh, so this is after Joseph has been sold into slavery by his brothers. Wait, why did he get sold into slavery? Wait, I can tell him that part. Yeah, you tell him that. So anyways, uh, Joseph was highly favored by his father, Jacob, and his other brothers got really jealous about that. You know, his dad even gave him some nice Gucci, bro. 
Like, dude, that was like top of the line jacket. Man was rolling with the ice. Yeah, for real. And so he went up to his brothers one day, you know, kind of showing off his coat and everything. And this is after the fact that he had a dream. He had a weird dream. It was, so the dream was 11 hay, hay bales or hay stacks of hay, whatever, was bound down to one stack of hay slash wheat, whatever, whatever you want to call it. Joseph said, oh, yo, my brothers are going to like bow down to me one day. So he goes to his brothers and he's like, hey, you guys are going to like worship me one day. I don't know how, but like it's going to happen. So his brothers were like, what? No, absolutely not. And so this is kind of where the, tri- the trials start for Joseph. You know, his brothers get so angry and mad with him. They plot a, they, they plan a plan. They plan a plot they to kill him. Plot a plan. Plan they a plot. plot. They plant, plant. Plant, plant a pot. Words. Pot, plant. Anyways, his brothers try to plan to kill Joseph. And that is not good. Not good at all. Then one of his brothers, Reuben, actually decides to talk the other brothers into uh, not really killing him, but sending him into slavery. So they kind of ambush him, you know, tear his coat up, and they kill a goat, pour blood all over the, or blood, yeah, pour the blood of the goat all over the jacket, and then rip up the sleeves, and then go give it to their father, Jacob, and said, Jacob, your favorite son died. We tried to stop it, but like he was attacked by wild animals. Anyways, then Joseph is then sold into slavery, and that's when he enters Potiphar's house. And so Potiphar, like Joseph, okay, so this is where Joseph's trials kind of start. Joseph is a man of God. He chooses to continue to obey God and honor God through that, and he continues to work for God. Like his heart, posture, and everything is kind of focused on God. So when he's like doing little tasks, he does it out of not like for the glory of men, but for the glory of God. And then he continues to work really hard. And then Potiphar is just like, dang, this guy is bossing. So he comes up to Joseph. He's like, hey, I'm going to make you second in command over everything that I own. And Potiphar was like mega rich, dude. He was like big time baller in Egypt. Um, So Joseph is now second in command right under Potiphar, you know, running, you know, his taxes, everything, slaves. It was a pretty big deal for Joseph. And so Joseph was like, dang, you know, I'm really high up. And I'm like, Glory to God and everything, because this is can only be God in this situation. And that's when Potiphar's wife comes in. Sheesh. Yeah. Yeah, and so Genesis 39 picks us up with uh, what Michael just said, the Potiphar's house, the narrative of what happens in Potiphar's house. So Joseph, um, the scripture tells us that Joseph is a particularly handsome man, and not very many people in the scriptures are described based on their looks. They'll be described by their virtue or their talent, but never... Not never. Very rarely. So you're rarely. saying Joseph was a 10 out of 10. He like, was a 10 on out of 10. Look scale he was a good-looking guy. Okay. Yeah. Every, it was pretty, pretty wild. Like me, right? Yeah, dude, 100%. <laughs> Bussin. Michael's, he's a good-looking man. <laughs> Facts. Uh, so Joseph was described as being very handsome, and many people took notice of that, most notably in Genesis 39, Potiphar's wife. So Potiphar's wife comes home one day while Joseph is tending to the household, and she begins to flirt with, with Joseph and increases in her, her sexual boldness, and she essentially tries to seduce him and when he refuses to do anything sexual with her uh she in her own pride decides well fine if if you're not gonna have anything to do with me then i'm gonna tell my husband that you raped me instead yeah and this is after the fact that she had already tried to get joseph to sleep with him several times so she goes to potiphar and and she says you're you know your uh worker or your slave you know he you know however he would have been referred uh, pushed himself on me and, and forced himself on me sexually. And so Potiphar has no choice but to he was put him enraged. in jail. Yeah. Yeah. Didn't even uh, listen to his side of the story. No. Had like, not, didn't yeah. even ask Joseph. But I don't think that's the point because it's now not. Joseph is under trial again. You know, right. he's blamed for something he didn't do. He had no desire to sleep with her. And he actually, the Bible says he fled from the scene or he, it doesn't say in those specific words, but we know that Joseph ran away from these temptations or maybe these possible desires. So right now he is he remains he remains under trial, but now in this next session we're about to see how he remains steadfast on God. So he's put into jail in jail. You know, like the first weekend, you know, he, he's so good at what he does. So he becomes the prisoners over all prisoners. In the prison, there's two other guys. And one's a baker and one's the cupbearer of Pharaoh himself. And they're both in jail and they both have uh, dreams and everything. And then they come, bring their dreams to Joseph. And Joseph's like, hey, cupbearer, you're going to be taken back to Pharaoh and you're going to be good. And he's like, cupbearer was like, yeah, let's go. Okay, this is going to be awesome. Baker comes into the scene, tells him the son, uh, tells him roughly the same kind of dream. And then Joseph is like, hey, yo, I don't know what you did, dog, but you about to die. You're literally going to be, I forget what he gets but he dies 
the baker's like, dude, that's messed up. But you know what Joseph said actually happened to these guys, and it's pretty crazy. And then the cupbearer goes back to Pharaoh's courts, but on his way out, Joseph said to him, hey, remember me and get me out of prison. And the guy's like, yeah, sure, let's do that. And then, you know, as soon as the cupbearer gets to the Pharaoh's courts, he forgets everything about Joseph. And then Joseph remains in jail for two years. But during that time, the, the scripture is clear that, you know, Joseph remained steadfast and he trusted God in everything, which is pretty cool, which really is like the main point of uh, verse 12 in James is remain steadfast under trial. You know, no matter what happens in your life, no matter if you are, at, if, if maybe, maybe you'd ha- go through the same things that Joseph did when, you know, you're falsely accused for something you didn't do or you're put in prison and you're left there to rot. Like, how do you remain steadfast? You just, you got to remember to like trust in God and know that God is like Lord over your life. And then to carry on with the rest of the story of Joseph, he eventually gets out of jail. Uh, he interprets a dream, a dream for uh, Pharaoh. And then Pharaoh's like, dang, this is awesome. You're now second in command of all of Egypt. And then his brothers come and then like a famine happens and he's selling food and everything. His brothers come. Reconciliation is a really cool story. But the point that we want to drive home in this story is Joseph remaining steadfast under trial. Right. So yeah. in remaining steadfast, what does he receive according to James? Ooh, let's read the second part of verse 12. So, for when he has stood the test, he will receive the crown of life, which God has promised to those who love him. So he receives essentially the crown of life, which is a promise of everlasting life with God, our father. You know, as Christians, when we receive Christ as our Lord and Savior, but then we go through the trials. Okay, this is where James kind of gets tricky for some believers. I don't know if I'm going to keep this in, but this is where this is the point where like salvation, like faith saves you. But then James says, faith without works is dead. What if you don't remain steadfast under these trials, but you're still saved and baptized and all that? Do you still go to heaven or do you remain? Do you receive that crown of life? I think to prove if you're like a steadfast Christian, really taking it seriously and living your life for God, then you will receive that crown of life because you will be given what you need to remain steadfast under these trials and stuff. But yeah, that, that can be like a whole nother talk for a whole nother podcast in itself but do you have anything to add to i'll that? try and be so brief i'm gonna do my best yeah so sorry because we will get fill me, to fill me in we fill will me get in on to, my loose gaps we'll get to faith and works uh probably in like two months i don't know it's in chapter two uh it might be three actually uh no it's so chapter james 2 14 and and following is is what talks about faith and works right. but i'm gonna jump ahead a little bit but not too much so ephesians ephesians 2 is i think what you're referencing michael when it's when paul says that we're saved uh, by grace alone through faith and it's not of our own doing but right. but the gift of god not by work so that no man may boast right so i think i think that's where paul uh, here's here's what i think so there's nothing you can do to be saved but once you're saved you have an obligation to live out your faith so that's what james is saying that's exactly right yeah so, so james is saying you can't just be a christian and then continue to live the way you do because Christ should convict you and change who you are. There's nothing, no works you can do to be saved. Right. You know what I mean? Yeah. So once you're saved, that's when the faith and the works come in and grow. Your faith will grow because you start at baby faith and all that other stuff. Yeah, because yeah, earlier in Ephesians 2, Paul uses the example of the Ephesians before they received the gospel as what happens when you're in the depth of your own fleshly desires. Yeah. Um, and, you know, maybe we'll talk about Ephesians one day, but like Ephesus was deep in it. It was all about the flesh, all about the self. And so, and again, I won't talk too long because this probably won't even be in the episode, but um, we, James says that we're, we're saved by a, uh, a saving faith, a true faith. And the mark of a true faith is uh, at, uh, works in response to faith, like you yeah. just said, Michael. So Paul, Paul's like, you were saved by grace alone through faith. So by the, the grace of the Father, we have received the faith in Christ because of what he did in our witness to it through the scripture or for those who were there the eyewitness account correct um, but in response to that we have to have works like james will talk about in chapter two as a as a result or your faith is dead it's not saving faith you have yeah. not received the crown of life because you've not persevered in that way you know and so all of that will build on what we talk about today but anyhow moving back to james one but yes so pretty much all of those who remain steadfast under trial and go through the tests and everything receive the promise of eternal life with God. It's pretty awesome. But for us, what was kind of spicy when we were looking through this is, so we read it through the first time and we were like, yeah, yeah we get it. So you gotta, you gotta have faith and you, you know, you gotta fall through and that's how you receive the crown of life. Yep. But when we read back through the second time, um, we realized that it's not just, if you do that, you get the crown of life. 
it's only those who do that that receive the crown of life. So faith without, to use James's verbiage later, without works or without results, without fruit, it's dead faith. It means nothing. And it won't, you won't receive the crown of life mm. on inactive faith alone, if you right. will. Like I want to word it carefully because I don't want it to sound like I'm saying faith isn't enough. But your faith has to be a saving faith and a fruitful faith. Yeah. You know? your, your faith is a seed that plants. Right. That plant should grow mm-hmm. into something that plants more seeds. Right. Hashtag discipleship. Should we move on? Yeah. We can move on to verse uh, 13. Verse 13? Yeah. Read it for us. Uh, so today I'm reading out of ESV like I did last The elect last standard week, version. Uh, just because I got my study Bible open. But yeah, English standard version. Here we go. Verse 13. Let no one say when he is tempted, I am being tempted by God. For God cannot be tempted with evil and he himself tempts no one. And I'll also read 14. But each person is tempted when he is lured and enticed by his own desire. Whoa. Okay, there's a lot in that, honestly. There's a lot going on in there. Let's talk about it. Uh, read I, that Read that little note that we got going yeah, on. Yeah, we, we have an outline. It's, you know, they know. They know. We know. They know. We I mean, know, we don't just, know. like, come up with this on the spot. That would be really cool if we could. That would be the spirit really moving through us. Not yeah. saying that he's not moving through us, but that's besides the point. Let's read what we got going on. <laughs> so... What James is saying in 13 and 14 pretty clearly, very little interpretation required, uh, as is most of the book of James. Praise God for his clarity uh, in communication. But temptation is evil, uh, and tests are the are righteous acts of God. So God will not tempt humanity, uh, just as Satan cannot test humanity, because those acts in and of themselves uh, have di- different characteristics. So something Michael and I talked about is every temptation from the devil is a test to see uh, from God's perspective, how we react to that temptation. Are we going to be steadfast? Are we going to endure? Or are we going to give in? So temptations can be viewed as tests, but tests are never temptations. Just for a few quick examples for anybody who wants to go flipping through their Bible, uh, either now or later, uh, hopefully later, so here and now. But um, God tests people very clearly uh, in Scripture. He tests Abraham in Genesis 22. He tests all of Israel in Exodus 16.4, and he tests Hezekiah in 2 Chronicles 32.31. And the, the Bible is very clear. Those are tests from the Almighty. Those are not temptations or, or you know, sneaky scenarios to try and poke right. at you to see what you're going to do, to see if you're going to sin. You know, it's, it's a test. Tempt. Right. God doesn't tempt. By his nature, he wouldn't, and he doesn't. What verse 14 also says is that temptation only occurs when our perspective is locked on the flesh. You know, temptation for temptation to occur it is necessary that we are not focused on god yeah because if your perspective is truly on him and on heaven temptation isn't temptation it's just the acknowledgement of desire and that's something we also talked about is like there's a difference between you know say you you've come into a sum of money recently and you see something that's really expensive that's stupid that you don't need if your priority with your money, Michael's making a face at me. He's calling me out. <laughs> I'm calling everybody out, but yeah, yeah, yeah. yeah. you know, Specific we're preaching to each other as much as to these folks yeah. and ourselves. But so if you have this sum of money, whether it's a paycheck or you have this inheritance or, you know, a lottery ticket or whatever, and you see something expensive that you don't need, if your your priority for your cash inflow is to glorify the kingdom of God, you won't be necessarily tempted to buy that thing. Uh, Satan doesn't, like kind of like we talked about last week, he doesn't have the authority to push temptation on you in that way. Yeah. Instead, you will acknowledge, oh, that would be really nice to have anyway. And you know that's what it looks like in a more concrete way to have your priorities locked on heaven in your perspective. Because there's a big difference between, oh, I, you know, crap, I really want that. I, I think I should buy that. And oh, that, that'd be nice to have, but right. maybe next time. You know, yeah. that's a big difference. Who is someone in the Bible, Nick, that has like, has had their perspective locked on the flesh? Oh, boy. Michael, this is one of my favorite pieces of scripture to talk about, and we're going to flip to it, actually. It's uh, it's two different verses. We're, we're both going to read one of them. Um, this is uh, an event in the Old Testament that involves King David that's recorded, actually, in two different places, in two different books. It's in 2 Samuel, and it's also in 1 Chronicles. And the, the wordings of the accounts uh, seem to be different, and we're going to talk about that uh, here in a sec. So, um, let's see. Yeah, you go ahead and read yours first. Okay, so I'm going to be reading Second Samuel 24, 1. Again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel, and he incited David against them, saying, Go, number Israel and Judah. Okay, so it, what's going on? Like, what's happening? What is David doing? He's taking a census of all of his troops to see how big his army was. Right. We have that account in Second Samuel, and then we also have it recorded in First Chronicles verse uh Chapter 21, verse 1, same story, same exact place, um, and this is what it says 
in the same translation that Michael was reading in a different place, same, same event. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. So David said to Joab and the commanders of the army, go number Israel from Beersheba to Dan and bring me a report that I may know their number. Wait a minute. Michael, read, read yours again. Read Wait, verse one again. So again, the anger of the Lord was kindled against Israel and he incited David against them. Wait, saying, who? Who incited David? Wait, the Lord. But wait a minute, Michael, First Chronicles 21, I, I'm reading a real Bible too. Yeah. Then Satan stood against Israel and incited David to number Israel. Mm. So what what's going on? What is going on? And you can debate all you want with whomever you like about this, the way it was explained to me by someone who knows way more than we do Yeah. Uh, about the Bible. Uh, shout out Professor Andrew Bulow, Grand Canyon University. Um, okay, we really love our professors here. Dude, okay. they're really good. Shout out to all the professors. They're here. really good. Um, the way he explained it to me because... I remember walking up to him in Old Testament survey, and I was like, what is this garbage? And he's like, what are you talking about? I'm like, the, the, the Bible, the, the Bible's never wrong, and the Bible doesn't contradict itself. So what's going on? He's like, okay, so you're halfway there. The Bible doesn't contradict itself. These are true stories with accurate information. And one of them says that God seemingly incited David, and the other one says that Satan did it. And what he said to me is, is it possible that God used Satan as a tool to tempt David? And it's like, well, yeah, but does that mean God's tempting David? No, God's testing David through a temptation from the enemy. And that's what we're getting at, is God would not place it in David's heart to sin because by his nature, yeah. you know, God doesn't want us to sin. He wants us to be righteous and, and walk in faith. But that doesn't mean he won't use Satan to manipulate our circumstances uh, in a way to test us. And that's why in the scheme of, of the fullness of time and God's scope of the universe, temptations can be, and I think are, tests, but tests are never temptations. Say that one more time for the people in the back. Sheesh! So, temptations will always be tests, but no test from the Lord is a temptation. It's kind of like whiskey, you know what I mean? Oh? Yeah, like all bourbon is whiskey, but not all whiskey is bourbon. Sheesh! Shout out to all the whiskey connoisseurs out there, or bourbon connoisseurs, you know. You're, you're little, a little nudge just for you guys. And real quick, just before we move on from this passage, because I, you know, I can already feel it. I can feel the pushback. And that's fine. You know, praise God for the differences in opinion. When you look at, uh, I use BibleHub.com for stuff like this. It's a great tool if you have internet access, like BibleHub.com. Uh, you can look up Bible commentaries, and what we're going to be using is a lexicon. And so Strong's lexicon uh, for the word incite in both these passages, it's the same word. It means to incite, to allure, to instigate, or to entice. And I think looking at the original definition of that word in the Hebrew really points us to the fact that this is a negatively connotative push. This is not in any way a, a righteous test. It is meant, it is, the nature of it is intended to get David to do the wrong thing. And that's how I, I feel confident that this is definitely from Satan, as that's what the scripture says. But I have no doubt that the father orchestrated this through Satan as a tool, mm. you know. But because God was angry. Yeah, God his was anger, not happy. Yeah, yeah. And and so David looked to his his nation that he had built, and that Solomon would. I mean, Solomon would do the same thing. Then in the next generation, he goes, "Yeah, we need to see how many men we have left." And in that moment, he stopped relying on God's providence and yeah. and God's strength. He's like, oh, but well, how many did we lose? Go, go number them. Hurry. Yeah. You know, we need to know. We really need to know. And God's like, no, you don't. It doesn't, you could have two, you could have one, you could have nobody. And I would still win this battle right. or the next battle. But David didn't trust that Dude, for a moment. The theme of judges question mark. Hey, yo. <laughs> but yeah, the, I mean the whole book of judges, that's yeah, that's, that's true. literally the theme. It goes from numbers to just one. Yeah. And that points to the one. Yeah. It's pretty cool. But podcast Michael, let's let's talk application. We we kind of jumped over it for verse twelve, but we can talk about it now. So when we fail in the steadfastness and we give in this to temptation and when yeah. we sin, you know, how do we reconcile that? Well, I think okay. I I hate to like not say what I would do, but like look at David. You know, look what he does when he does fail to obey and stuff. He's very quick to repent and he's very quick to praise and honor God. And he's very quick to turn away from sin. That's what repent means, just to turn. I think when we do fail those trials and everything, we got to acknowledge that we failed and not make excuses for why we failed, but just to just admit, hey, you know, I'm a sinner and I am broken and I can do this. So I'm turning back to you, Jesus. That's personally what I would do. I mean, David was known as a... 
a man after God's own heart, not because of his flaws, but because of his heart posture and his relationship with God. Yeah. So I think it, it's really important to try to mimic that. And you should honestly want that for your own life. I mean, who wouldn't want to be like King David himself? I want to be like him. I want to be like the crazy heroes of the faith in the Bible. But yeah. again, real quick, cause we're never going to make our time. It's okay. Yeah. We're talking about the Lord. <laughs> yeah. Um, so Michael just said, you know, my, uh, that David was you know quick to repent. And if you follow at least First Chronicles 21, I assume it's the same in Second Samuel, but I don't have it in front of me. Uh, if you jump down in First Chronicles 21, down to uh, verse 7, we get the account of what how David responded. So I'll read it quickly. So follow along if you can. Pause if you need to. Uh, this is verse 7. But God was displeased with this thing, and he struck Israel. And David said to God, I have sinned greatly in that I have done this thing. But now please take away the iniquity of your servant, for I have acted very foolishly. And the Lord spoke to Gad, David's seer, saying, Go and say to David, Thus says the Lord, Three things I offer to you. Choose one of them, that I may do it to you. So Gad came to David and said to him, Thus says the Lord, Choose what you will, either three years of famine, or three years, excuse me, three years of famine, or three months of devastation by your foes while the sword of your enemies overtakes you, or else three days of the sword of the Lord, pestilence on the land, with the angel of the Lord destroying throughout the territory of Israel. Now decide what answer shall I return to him who sent me. And, and what did he choose? He chooses the three days of punishment by the sword of the Lord. Three days. So he gets three options. Okay. He gets uh, three years of famine. So his whole his whole nation that he's built up will starve. Um, or three months of constant assault from the enemies of God that are around Israel. Uh, or three days of personal consequence by the sword of the Lord. Dang. And look at him taking responsibility for his actions. Yeah. David is quick to repentance. Oh, and he chooses three days. Right. Um, so the reason as you read the rest of it, it's, it's another like six or seven verses. So I, I won't read it here, but feel, please do. Um, David chooses the three days. And the reason he gives is he says, Lord, my enemies may not relent, but because you are faithful, I want three days of the worst that you have, because I know at the end of the three days, you will relent because that's what you've said. That's what you promised. And I can trust that. I trust you. So give me everything you've got for three days. Like, what? <laughs> that was such a just action for King David, too. Like, that was rightfully what should have happened. But the fact that God gave him options to kind of blame it and make his people suffer for David's action, and then David still being like, you know what? I'm going to righteously take that. Are you telling me God tested him? Yo! Bullshit. How about that? Yeah. And so, you know... I know, it's just, it's just crazy how like you know god is a righteous god he's a righteous judge and i just like that was a righteous move of judgment for david which is pretty cool to yeah. kind of like just point at and it's like so our, our application here in that is when you fall into that when you stumble in that way and you you don't remain steadfast as david didn't you need to be quick to repentance mm-hmm. like david was in in verses seven eight and nine he says lord i acted foolishly please take this iniquity from me yeah. i give it to you i'm sorry Uh, And in that, he's also recognizing his role. He failed. God didn't fail him. He failed God. And following that, he recognizes the scope of the scenario and says, Lord, I'm going to take a step back. I've given my my sin over to you in repentance, and I can recognize that your righteousness will reign, so I trust you. Give me three days of everything you have. It's like, dang. So, like, that's how we ought to be. You know, the three steps there are repentance, responsibility, and recognition. So, Michael, other than that, is there another uh, application that we can pull to remember that we have to endure through trial in order to receive the crown of life? Yeah, I definitely think it is important to have a prayer of discernment. I know we kind of talked about that. Maybe one of these episodes will go more topic-based and we'll dive into what these mean. But like a prayer of discernment and then come ready with a testimony of faith. And what does that mean? Let's look at Acts 7, bro. Who's in Acts 7, Michael? Dude, there's this guy named Stephen. Stephen? He's kind of like the first guy who got murdered for, you know, preaching the gospel mm-hmm. ever recorded. Long story short, for those of you who don't know the book of Acts or the story of Stephen, mm-hmm. uh, the book of Acts follows uh, the gospels. It's written by Luke uh, as a sequel to his gospel, Luke, the gospel of Luke. But it just documents what happens when, after Jesus ascends and his disciples go out to follow the great commandment to go and make disciples of every nation. And Stephen is one such uh, follower of Christ. And he finds himself before uh, a court, the Sanhedrin, because he's been preaching and they caught him. And basically they say, hey, look, people said you've been preaching. Is that true? And the way he responds isn't, yes, it is true, or no, it is not true. He says, yeah, and this is what I said to everyone. And then he 
gives a Cliff Notes version of the entire Old Testament. And they listen to him. And they listen the whole time. Yeah, and they and then the whole time that they're listening to the Sanhedrin is just like, okay, that's right, that's right, that's right, okay. Why, why are you, why are we trying to, and then it gets to the gospel of Jesus, you know, and Jesus died for your sins, you need to repent of your sins, and Jesus is the son of God. And then that's when everyone kind of freaks out because at yeah. that point that was still not really widely accepted by the religious leaders. And then, you know, there he's kicked out of the temple, and then as soon as he's kicked out of the temple, he's stoned and murdered. Yeah. yeah. Spoiler alert for Acts chapter 7. He but dies at the chapter. end. But what I think what's important here and why we're talking about it is, is how he dies. So he's stoned, yeah. but uh, a few verses we will read um, is, this is Acts chapter 7, verse, I'll start at 54, the stoning of Stephen. Now when they heard these things, everything he just said, they were enraged and they ground their teeth at him. But he, full of the Holy Spirit, being Stephen, gazed into heaven and saw the glory of God and Jesus, he saw Jesus standing at the right hand of God. So now he knows, wow, like this is, like his faith is now validated. He's like, wow, he really did ascend to the, you know, the right hand of the Father. Dang, because Stephen wasn't a disciple. He didn't see him. He just believed it and then he went and preached it. Mm -hmm. And then he saw it, which is just... Yeah, he saw... Could you imagine, God. dude, like at the moment of your death, you've been preaching this message your entire life and you're dying for it. And then the last thing you see is the heavens open up. Yeah. And Jesus is sitting right next to the father. And and he says, behold, I see the heavens open and the son of man standing at the right hand of God. But they cried out with a loud voice and stopped their ears and rushed together at him. And they and then they stone him and they kill him. Um, but his even to when he realized, oh, they're yeah, they're gonna stone me. They're you know they're gonna call me a heretic and I'm gonna die. He goes, hey, look, he's full. He's so full of the Holy Spirit. He's so prepared with his testimony of faith. I could just see him go like, ah, <gasps> hey, look at that. And then everyone's like, ah, and then they're like, oh, like, like, what? Yeah. It's like, look, there's Jesus and everything. And then right, yeah. And there, I mean, oh, this is a oh. tangent we don't have time for. But like, there's something to be said there about like, Steve, so Stephen looks up and Stephen sees. The heavens open, but nobody else does. So, I mean, it gave the world and the Sanhedrin, the people accusing him, one more reason to call him a crazy person. Because he was like, wait, the heavens have opened, look. I I see it. And they're like, huh? Yeah. I knew he was crazy. And they stone him and they kill him and they feel validated in, you know, stopping this person from spreading the gospel. It's like the the ignorance, the the simple mindedness. The it's crazy. And it's terrifying. Anyway, that's we'll talk so, about that. So the life application is always pray with discernment, but then also be bold to share your testimony and yeah. bring testimonies with you to the fight. And or a testimony that has nothing to do with you. Stephen doesn't talk about himself once. Right. Yeah. He says, "Well, this is what the Word of God says, and this is what the words from the mouth of Jesus Christ, who is God, said." So that's all you should need. That is enough. You don't need to hear about me. And they're like, yeah, kill him. It's like sometimes your testimony might have nothing to do with what God did in your life while he is doing something for you at every minute of every day. You can spread the gospel with a testimony of faith that is just the history of the ministry of Christ and what predated the ministry of Christ that set up the the fulfillment of the law and the prophets. Yeah. But, oh, like, that's come so come the testimony of faith. That's how we apply the, the principles from verse 12. But what about 13, 14, and 15? Like, what do we do in response to those truths? The truth that that all temptation is from the devil, but tests are righteous right. and ultimately from the Lord. Hey, man, pray without ceasing. That sounds like it's in the Bible. Dude, it is in the Bible. It's 1 Thessalonians 5, 17 through 18. Pray without ceasing. Give thanks to all circumstances. For this is the will of God in Christ Jesus for who? For you. Shoot. For you and you and you. So so how does prayer without ceasing? I mean, you know, what does that mean to someone who hasn't heard that language to pray without ceasing? Does that mean every second of every day you're t- you're just like praying and talking? Absolutely. Okay. Yeah. So how do you like? What does that look like? I'm Are just you kidding. Just I'm just kidding. Walking around like no, it's kind of like always staying in this mindset where you're kind of meditating on the Lord and meditating on His Word. I like the the visual of Psalm 91. He who dwells in the shelter of the Most High will abide in the shadow of the Almighty. Like, what does it mean to abide in God's shadow? And, like, just the visuals that brings and everything, it's kind of, that's what, like, prayer without ceasing, remaining in God's word, but, like, remaining in just God and his presence. Yeah. And talk to him. Just pray. Just pray. Yeah. Just pray all the time. For me, I know something that was really helpful, and hopefully it's helpful for either you, Michael, because I don't think I've shared this with you, but, or someone out there who's listening, um, remembering the meaning of the word amen, I think is really important. 
Um, and anybody who's in my Min 320 class heard me say this yesterday. So the word amen, when it's translated, means so be it or let it be in this way. So when you finish a prayer, you say you ask God for something or you thank him for something. You're ending it by saying that, that you pray this in, in the name of Jesus Christ, let this be or let it be in this way, Father. So if you view amen as a, as a period to a sentence and not a semicolon, you need to adjust your, your understanding a little bit because prayer is, is a back, it's a discussion. It's a back and forth. And I think a few episodes ago now, I talked about the walkie-talkie prayer. And like yeah. when you use amen as the end of a conversation, you turn your prayer into an intercom prayer or you you're, keep your finger on the walkie-talkie button. Let it, like, let it be in this way, Lord. And that allows you to continue a prayer. It, that prayer isn't right. ending. It's to keep you in the mindset until you ask or you speak again to God or he speaks to you. It keeps the dialogue open. Um, if you can just keep that mindset of, I'm now ending this thing I would like to say to you, Lord. Now it's you're giving the mic to him to respond in turn with his role, you know? Let it be in that way, Lord. Pause. And then that pause lasts until your next prayer. That's you listening. So like it, it kind of drifts into meditation, like how is meditation different than prayer? And that's a different conversation. But like just view the word amen, not as the end of the prayer, but as the segue into the next prayer, you know? That is so good. But yeah, that helped like me that. a lot. That's going to help me a lot too, because I never really thought about it that in that way. Yeah. What else What else can we do, Michael, to to remember that temptation is at its core evil and, and tests are righteous. I think something that also helps is to continue to read God's scripture, read, yeah. read scripture to see God's true role. Dive into Genesis 22 and, and Exodus 16. And, and look look at the extra dialogue and see what God is doing behind the curtain mm-hmm. at these things and how God is moving. Because that's something I really loved about the Bible is because we're not, we're not the person of Joseph, and we're not sitting here wondering what God's doing, but we're actually the readers. We actually get to see the dialogue where God, we get to see all these other additional things of like just in stories, you know, as Moses is trying to tell Pharaoh to let the people go, we see God said, and God hardened Pharaoh's heart. And so we get all these little licks and everything. So yeah. see God's role, see how God is moving in scripture. Yeah. I think another important thing too is, is safeguards against temptation. It's something Michael and I talked about when we discussed this this chunk of text is, you know, what does it mean to have safeguards against temptation? When you acknowledge that temptation will never be from God, there's no outcome to temptation with you in it or doing it that is pleasurable to God. So knowing that, you can prepare yourself or you ought to prepare yourself to always combat it with safeguards. And safeguards is a big churchy word um, that just basically is a measure that you take, an active role that you take to prevent the lack of endurance and temptation to give in to that sin or to give in to that desire. So an example from earlier that I talked about money. So if you know that you struggle with spending your money on on junk you don't need, well, then maybe you need to reevaluate or reprocess how you use your money. So something, I think we we might've talked about it an episode or two ago, like money envelopes. You know, if you go cash all your checks and you put them into envelopes and the envelope for recreational stuff that you just want is empty, well, you don't have any more money. And so that's like a, a good example of a safeguard or like if you like masturbation is something that you struggle with or pornography is something you struggle with and you have that urge to partake in one of those things, remove yourself from that circumstance and go somewhere where you can't do that. Like with masturbation, if you're, you know, you're, you're sitting, you know, male, male, female, doesn't matter. You're sitting in a, in a private space and you have a temptation to masturbate. Remove yourself from that private space and go somewhere public where that's not possible. Or if you, you struggle with pornography and you, you know, you're, all by yourself in your bedroom or your, your garage or your library, wherever. And you're like, man, I, you know, I could just pull something up and I could just indulge in that. Go somewhere where everybody would notice and you would be horribly ashamed. Like just remove yourself from the scenario to prevent yeah. the possibility of that, you know? Yeah. I also like the, I, I forget where this comes from, but like God always provides a way of escape. Some of these ways of escape are going and removing yourself from the situation, but that takes faith that takes a relationship with god because in those moments it's so hard to like buy your flesh which is already being been conceived and is about to give birth to sin as we see in verse 15 but it's hard to remove yourself by your own will out of those situations so yeah that is also you know looking back at verse 12 is like steadfast under trial when you're falling into temptation that's a trial what are you going to do are you going to escape and run close to the father or are you going to give in to the birth of sin verse 14 but each person is tempted when he is lured into the and enticed by his own desires yeah. so are you going to be enticed by your own desires and fall into sin or are you going to be steadfast under the trial and remaining god another one that we didn't write down 
but it just came to mind is it's it goes back into what we talked about last week i, I think it was last week i don't remember anymore right. about how you know satan has no authority in the presence of the father right and in, the, in in turn in the presence of the son so if you've confessed your faith and been baptized and received the holy spirit as we see in acts chapter two uh the, the spirit lives inside you the spirit of of god is inside you and that gives you a measure of authority over the powers of darkness so if you're in a scenario where you're feeling tempted to engage in anything whether it be your money or your sexuality or, or any other temptation you might have to fall into a, a sinful behavior it's really difficult for you to fall into those things if you are actively proclaiming the name of christ over them and i and i don't mean in your heart i mean audibly like and it feels weird if you haven't done it it still feels weird when i do it and i've done it quite a few times like so we'll go back to money. So you you know you really want to buy something, and people think I'm crazy when I say it. Like rebuke it audibly in the name of Christ, because if you do that and you have faith in the name of Jesus, that temptation will flee you because it can't stay. It, it's not allowed to per the Father's you know authority. It has to flee from you if you trust the name that you're invoking, right? So or and again with like sexuality, if you're in a circumstance where you're tempted to sin sexually, regardless of what it looks like. If you stop what you're doing and audibly rebuke it in the name of Jesus Christ, it is my conviction that it will flee from you if you trust that 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 speaking over it is effective. You know, if you trust what Jesus said about his own name and about the power, it has no choice but to flee. You know, I like that a lot. I mean, kind of rebuking it can also look different for a lot of people's lives. Like, honestly, this could be just a simple question to yourself. When you're about to do something, ask yourself, does this honor God? Yeah. And then be like real with yourself sure. and then get out of those situations as fast as you can and remain steadfast sure. in God. Abide in his shadow, as Psalms 91 puts it. Another one. Just, it's really fast, I promise. We're way over time. Something, uh, not to dwell on it too long because it is, you know, taboo and awkward to talk about, but it should be talked about to go back to like masturbation and pornography because it's something that we know is just so prevalent with this generation. Right. Um, when, if you... Something that someone said to me uh, not long ago was, if that's something that you're struggling with, carry the word of God in your hand as much as you possibly can. Sleep with it. Walk with it. Eat next to it. But like... This is it, not your phone. Like a physical paperback yeah, copy the, of the like Bible. Yeah, a, a paper yeah. copy of the Bible if you have one. If you don't, you know, find access to one and literally carry it in your dominant hand because it is really difficult to masturbate when you're holding a Bible. You know, and it sounds funny, but like, it's true. It's hundred percent. Cause if you go, Oh, let me just put this down. Oh, what did I just put down? Oh, that's the word of God. Oh, wow. And then that leads to, is this God honoring is, is what I'm about to do. Like, and it sounds weird and you might look weird, but we're supposed to be a little weird. We're, uh, we're different. You know, we're not supposed to be like the world, you know, we're set apart. You know, that's a big theme throughout the whole Bible, but walk around with a Bible in your hand. If, when you go to reach for your debit card, if you have to put your Bible down first, you might look at it and go, oh, wait a minute, you know? Dang. And, like, and it could be applied to anything, any temptation that you're struggling with. It doesn't have to just be what we talked about, but walk around with the word of God in your hand. It's whack. Sheesh. It's crazy what'll happen. Hey, Mick, I'm going to challenge you. Next time I see you in public, you better have a word in your hand. Deal, dude. As well as me. <laughs> yes, sir, EJ. All right, let's do it. Boom. We just challenge each other. We challenge you. We're calling you out. Yeah. Listeners, walk of around course. with your Bible for a week and see how it changes your how often you feel tempted. Mm. Just, just, and if it doesn't work for you, find something else that does. To let us know your um, experience. Yeah, let yeah. us know about your experience by emailing us at proverbsandparablespc at gmail dot com or, or dropping a comment in the comment. We'd love to hear. We love talking to you guys and hearing yeah. from you. But we really do. And guys, James is so good. It's so good. But that's all we have for tonight. Um, yeah. Um, I'll just yeah, wrap us up with yeah, some wrap prayer us up and then prayer. we'll get out of here because we this is a long episode, but we hope you guys enjoyed it as much as we did because we certainly had a good time just talking with each other and the presence of the spirit and and hopefully said something that resonated with you all or something you could share with somebody else that might be convicting to them um so let's pray okay father god lord we thank you so much for this time that you you've provided so faithfully for michael and i to get on here and just talk with each other and speak some truth over one another and and preach to ourselves a little bit as well as to anybody who might be listening that struggles with remaining steadfast in prayer and, and being discernful in the midst of temptations and trials and, and seeing your role and the enemy's role in those and knowing where to go in that. Uh, but Father, we, we pray over anyone who may listen as well as one another that we might boldly persevere through any trial that may come, that we would count it all joy, as James says back in verse two, that we would 
not use repentance as a credit card. Lord, that was something that was said to me a long time ago about how we might abuse repentance and say, well, you know, you know, Jesus will forgive me if I say I'm sorry after. So this is okay. You know, give us a faith that convicts us otherwise. Give us a living faith and a breathing faith that reminds us that you are not a credit card to just be swiped and paid off later. You, you've made the payment. You sent Christ to pay for all sin for all time. This is not some system that we just get to use whenever we, we feel bad about ourselves. So Father, give us that boldness and, and keep our eyes on you and keep our perspective on, on heaven and the work that Christ did and the work that, that you did, Father, in the days of the Old Testament where your son had not yet come, but he, you were preparing the way for him in so many ways. And just keep our eyes on that work that you did and how we ought to respond to it and not on our flesh, not on the desires we have for our bodies or for our, our wealth, for our life, for our family, that we remember all things that we have are gifts from you and that we just boldly pray over that. Father, we ask these things in your son's holy name. Amen. Amen. Well, guys, that's it for today's episode. Um, again, if you guys have any comments or questions, just drop them in the comment section below or email us at the email in the description. Yeah. Um, or if you know us in person or you have our phone numbers, like you can ask us about the podcast personally. Yeah. It's not weird. That'd actually be kind of cool. Just text us. Be like, hey, man, this is kind of crazy. But yeah. We hope you guys enjoyed it. See you. Shalom. Shalom. Hey, guys. It's Michael. Thank you so much for listening. We hope you're really encouraged by today's talk. If you want to help us get the gospel message out to more people, hit that like button or send this episode to a friend. And if you want more, hit that subscribe button and turn on notifications to know when we post. Want to connect with us? Email us any questions or concerns at proverbsandparablespc at gmail.com. Again, that is proverbsandparablespc at gmail.com. We can't wait to hear from you. Catch you in the next episode. Shalom.